All right, turn with me in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we're going to look at verses 11 through 16. And um, this, I don't normally title my messages, but this one has a title. And uh, I've got the bare bones outline from a, a preacher friend. And the title of this one is The Perfecting Work of the Ministry. The Perfecting Work of the Ministry. Um, let's all stand as we read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. He says here in uh, verse 11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some prophets, uh, excuse me, pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow uh, up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, once again we come to you in prayer this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for the blessings that you give us, even on a daily basis. And Lord, the benefits, as it's mentioned also in the Scriptures, the benefits that you give us. Lord, we thank you for your love. And, and um, Lord, even the, uh, uh, those that were mentioned uh, as far as prayer requests are concerned, uh, families who have lost loved ones, I pray, Lord, that you watch over and care for them. And the Rosmondo family, whose daughter uh, was abducted and uh, is back home, we rejoice that she's home now. And I pray that you be with that family and that you will uh, uh, bless them and comfort them and give them wisdom as they move forward from this point. And Lord, that you'll use them for your glory and honor. And I pray for this church, Lord, that you will use this church in mighty ways. Use us, Lord, to uh, edify, to encourage, uh, to, uh, to be a witness, to lead people to Christ. Uh, Lord, that they can come and, and join with us as well to repeat that process and to teach people about the Lord Jesus Christ, what you have done for us on the cross in paying our sin debt for us. Lord, we thank you so much for your love to us, for giving us your word, and most of all, Lord, for taking upon yourself human flesh and dying on that cross in our place, paying our sin debt for us. We pray that you speak to our hearts as we read and study from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Okay, the, uh, the perfecting work uh, of the ministry. Um, we see here in verse 11, it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now, this whole uh, letter... In, in fact, I believe most of these epistles, if not all of them, are written, generally speaking, obviously to everybody, right? Every single person can pick up the Bible and read, and if they will continue reading and read with sincerity and, and in the sense that they're really looking for truth, that's their reason for reading, then I believe God will give them something. Now, specifically, there are some things that are written specifically to specific people or to specifically to the church, for example. And I believe that a lot of these epistles, including this one, is written specifically to a church. 
or we could say to the institution of the church because it applies to us as well. We weren't there uh, at the time the church that it was at Ephesus. Uh, you know, we weren't there uh, with that assembly, with that uh, ecclesia, if you want to use the, uh, the Hebrew word, or uh, excuse me, the Greek word. We weren't there with that assembly at that time, that particular church, but it can still apply to us today. And uh, so we see here in this verse, number 11, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And this uh, pastors and teachers, those two, notice it doesn't say in some pastors and some teachers, it says in some pastors and teachers. In other words, I just want to make clear, uh, and I think it, that this is the meaning here, that a pastor is also to be a teacher, okay? That they're, they're combined right there. Uh, they're the same thing. And uh, so he mentions um, pastors and teachers, not two separate offices, but the one office there. And um, uh, pastors we see in the scriptures are uh, given uh, to the, uh, a church by the Holy Spirit. Uh, teachers are men uh, that are gifted by the Holy Spirit uh, to teach and to preach. And that may sound a little bit odd, uh, maybe to some of you, uh, but the fact is God does use every one of us in a particular way. And if you're here, it's because God has brought you here. Amen. Amen. If you are, uh, it, it, and that's what we want. We want to, to seek the, uh, the leadership of the Lord in our life when we are looking for his will. We want to, to seek the leadership of the Lord, and we want our will to align with His. And uh, anyways, that's not so much the message this morning. That's just one point of it, and we could go into more detail on another time on that particular point. But um, um, in uh, verse uh, 11 again, uh, for the, excuse me, he gave some apostles and some uh, prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers... So we want to look at what is and what isn't involved in uh, what a pastor does, or one of the words that the, the Bible uses for pastor is that he is to take the oversight. So what isn't involved, we're going to look at first, what isn't involved in the oversight of a pastor or a teacher? And there's several things we can see. Uh, pastors are not at liberty to assume for themselves the dominance over the entire work of the ministry. Now, that might sound a little bit odd to some people, but uh, a, a pastor is not to try to take the dominance over every single thing going on. He is to take the oversight. But you know what? The pastor is just one person. And some churches can have more than one pastor, but there's still only one head pastor. But... It takes every single person in the church that, that I say it takes. Let me reword it and say it this way. God, it is God's will for every person in the church to be involved. Amen. And God gives every person in the church uh, a gift. And we'll be going over the uh, spiritual gifts, Lord willing, in December. But God gives us all different gifts, different talents, different uh, abilities and, um, and we ought to search God's will in, in how to use those to further the work of Christ. So um, the idea of the, um, and I'm reading in my notes here, the idea of uh, or concept of clergy and laity is foreign to the apostolic church and was formulated and made religiously fashionable by apostate churches or irregular churches or what eventually uh, became to be known as uh, back in about the year 320 AD or somewhere between 320 AD is when Constantine took all these irregular or apostate churches and formed them into what is known today as the Catholic Church. And uh, you can do the research on that, do your own history, uh, or if anybody's interested, I've got a little booklet back there called The Trail of Blood, 
uh, but feel free to do your own history on that, of when was the Catholic Church officially formed? Not what they officially say, because they officially say that it was the first church started. But that's not true. That is just absolutely not true. It was officially formed around 320 A.D. with Constantine. He said, I'll give you a little bit of history here. He said that he saw this vision of a burning cross. And what he was trying to do before he saw that vision, he was trying to conquer the world with the sword. And he was having a hard time because of those who called themselves Christian, both in name only and those who really were Christian. And so he took that vision, whether he really had a vision or not, I don't know. But this is what his claim is. He said he saw this vision of, of a burning cross and he took that to mean conquer with the sword, but it, you know, take, the, uh, uh, take these religious folk these, and make them to be the state church and then use that to conquer. And so that's what began to happen. Uh, anyways, um, but we can see, in fact, let's go ahead and look at a couple of verses here. 3 John 9 and verse 10. 3 John 9 and verse 10. And by the way, since we're on that note, I just want, want it to be clear uh, that um, the church that Jesus started, because it was before the Catholic Church, it is not a Protestant church because it never was part of the Catholic Church and therefore never had to protest and come out of the Catholic Church. And because Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, we know there was never a time where it ceased to be. Amen. It has always been and always will be until the Lord returns. So uh, 3 John and verse number 9 uh, says here, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, uh, pratting against us with malicious words. And that word pratting has to do with words and uh, empty words or not beneficial words. And not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Now, here we see an example in the Bible where the Apostle John is pointing out in this particular, this particular man, uh, Diotrephes, he liked to have the preeminence. You know, uh, the only person that should have the preeminence is God himself. Amen. Amen? He has the preeminence. But this man, he wanted to have the preeminence in this church. And um, so much to where he was uh, casting people out of the church. And that what is said there. Uh, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of the church. Now, just the, the, this lesson is not so much a lesson of, of uh, what we would call church discipline. I didn't even intend to, to get into this part, but I just feel like I need to say something about this. Uh, the casting out, there's no pain or punishment type of thing of what we see of biblical discipline. It's just simply removing someone from membership. But you know that how that happens? It is not one man that does that if it were to ever come to it. Every pastor, uh, what's, how should I word this, cringes at even the idea of it ever having to get, get to a point where somebody has done something that it has to be brought before the church. But it's not the pastor's decision if something ever happens like that. It is the decision of the entire church body. The entire church body. And so this man right here, he was taken upon himself and set himself up uh, as uh, having the preeminence. Another passage is First uh, Peter 5 and verse 2. Uh, and we're just looking here at, at the difference between a pastor taking the oversight and uh, someone who is trying to take the preeminence. So First uh, Peter chapter 5. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 5. And by the way, it's the same with uh, uh, church membership. It's the entire church body uh, that votes on church membership. So 1 Peter chapter 5, and forgive me, I'm a little slow with turning my pages here. 
and verses 2 and 3. Let's just start with verse 1. It says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. And he says here in verse 2, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. So a, a pastor or pastors, if a church has more than one, he is to be an example uh, to the church. He is to uh, set the standard. He is to take the oversight. Uh, he is, and, and we're going to look at other things that a pastor is supposed to do as well. Uh, but at looking at what he is not to do, uh, he, he isn't um, involved. Give me just a moment here. I apologize. Uh, he isn't to take the preeminence, okay? He's not to be a dictator, but rather uh, to, uh, to take the oversight and uh, uh, to help the members. In other words, uh, I think the bigger point here is that a church isn't just dependent on one man. Unless, we're talk, unless that man is the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? He is the head of the church. But, but a church, it is a, a group of people that have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They put their faith and their trust in Him, and they have followed uh, the Lord in obedience by being baptized scripturally, and then they are covenanting themselves together. And um, so anyway, so what is involved in the oversight of a pastor uh, uh, forward slash teacher. It is the business of the pastor to see that people are as perfectly as possible equipped for the spiritual work and we uh, well, excuse me, warfare. It, spiritual work and warfare. So we see this in, uh, let's start in verse 12 again of Ephesians. I normally print all my verses out so I don't have to turn the pages so much. And I don't have all my verses printed out this morning. I apologize. But give me just a moment here to get back to my Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. So here we are. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12 says here, 4. So what are, the, what are these apostles, which we don't have anymore, prophets, we don't have those anymore, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, all of those really, those last three fall into the same category. What are they for? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we're looking at what is involved now in the oversight. Uh, it is the business of the pastor to see that people are as perfectly as possible equipped for the spiritual work and warfare. That phrase there, perfecting, uh, in verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. It has the idea of being equipped and the meaning of being equipped. There's lots of other meanings uh, with that word perfecting besides uh, equipping. Uh, the word perfect has the meaning of being complete as well. But in this, uh, in this context, uh, the meaning here is the equipping. And uh, one thing a pastor should do, and I'm, I pray that God gives me wisdom on these things, and, and I, I hope that I am doing these things as, as a pastor, uh, but I, uh, I should be equipping you to be able to do the things that God has called you to do. And one thing that we know God's called all of us to do as born-again believers, and that is to be a witness, right? We want to be a witness to those around us. And we are a witness not only by the things that we say, but also by the things that we do. And that's where the word conversation in the Bible has more of a meaning than just words. The primary meaning of the word conversation back in the 16, 17, and 1800s had the meaning of way of life, our conduct, our very conduct is our conversation. So how we live, how we uh, do whatever it is that we do, uh, that is our conversation. And we ought to be, as the Apostle Paul also mentioned in the Corinthians, 
and, and remember that we are that living letter read of all men. We are um, the uh, uh, ambassadors for Christ is another thing that Paul says. We are ambassadors for Christ. So the uh, equipping, and I just want to say something real quick concerning that word perfecting and um, different Bible translations. And I, I say this, and I probably will continue to every now and then say something about different Bible translations because we live in a time contrary to back when, let's say 400 years ago, we didn't have hundreds and hundreds of different English translations. Today we do. In fact, over a thousand English translations, over a thousand. So uh, someone has said he calls the, all those other translations the uh, pick and choose translations. You don't like this one? Find another one. Just keep looking. You'll find the one that will fit exactly what you want. Well, uh, we stick with the King James. And, um, I, but I want to mention this. The perfecting of the saints. You might find in one of these other translations where they have it translated as the equipping of the saints. I won't argue with that. I, th that's a good translation. I'm not going to say that it's wrong here, though, because the meaning is, is still there. It's the same meaning. My point is just simply, I have people come to me sometimes, uh, and, and in fact, more often than not, that uh, they have an issue with the uh, King James translation. And uh, so, I, you know, I ask them, well, which translation do you use? And, well, it's a multitude of translations that they use, not just one. Not just one. It's a multitude. And if you were to ask them, well, how, give me a percentage-wise, how much is the King James wrong? And how much is wrong with what, because they don't believe there's a, a one that's right 100%. And so how much is right in the one you're using? And I don't know, I, I would imagine that their percentages, just from my conversations with them, that they would agree that they believe that all of them have a certain amount of percentage that's wrong. Right. And if that's the case, which that's what it appears to be, why the constant attack against the King James? Amen. Because it's their, their percentage of wrongness is the same. So why the constant attack against the King James? Anyways, I just wanted to throw that out there for the perfecting of the saints, referring to the equipping. Uh, and, and that is what pastors should be doing is, is equipping the church members so that they know how. And, and, and not only, I mean, I just think of my own self. I enjoy, and my grandfather, he used to use this terminology as well. I, I picked up and learned a lot from him. But he says, I like preaching that steps on my toes because the preaching that steps on my toes tells me where to move. Amen. And that's the way he put it. So uh, anyways, um, so uh, it is it is the business of the, the pastor to see that people are as perfectly as possible equipped for the spiritual work and warfare. Uh, so we have to be taught as there was a time and I'm still learning, by the way, but my prayer is that we see more people want to join this church. My prayer is that we see more people come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen. And uh, my prayer is that we see more people that want to come with us when we are as a church. And we don't have to do it only as a church. You're, every one of us should, be, should keep in mind that we do represent Christ wherever we are. And... Um, you know, pray that God gives you wisdom to recognize any opportunities you have to witness for him. But as a church, my prayer is that there will be more people that come and go door knocking with us. <clears throat> Excuse me, on Saturdays and Tuesdays right now, I eventually want to open that up to one more day. Um, not that I'm trying to overload everybody or anybody. Uh, what I'm asking is just on one day of the week, one day of the week that you might be able to come and maybe give me some feedback on this, by the way, of one day of the week that and what time of that day might be a good time because I want to add one more day uh, to give uh, more of an option. Uh, but anyways, my prayer that, that we as a church, all of us will be more equipped 
and more motivated uh, to share the gospel with people and to bring people in uh, to the church house. And really, to be honest with you, I think I know a lot of people get saved in church. But let me tell you something. A lot of people get saved out of church. A lot of people, it's whenever you're able to talk to them one-on-one where they're able to uh, ask the questions that they need the answers to to help them understand their need for Jesus Christ as their Savior. And uh, you never know what you're going to come across when you're out door knocking. Uh, Yesterday, my daughter Hannah went with me and um, we... uh, we had a, a goal of how many we wanted to get to. We didn't reach that goal, by the way. Uh, we tried, but uh, we didn't reach it. But the reason we didn't reach it is a good reason. One of the houses we knocked on, there was a young couple there that was very interested in what we were sharing with them and had a lot of questions. And Lord willing, I'll uh, come back and, and talk to them next weekend. They told me I could. Uh, I let them know they're welcome to come. In the meantime, come on to church anyways. And maybe they will. Maybe we'll see them tonight or on Wednesday. Uh, But you never know who you're going to come across when you're witnessing outdoor knocking. And and, uh, you're going to hit a lot of doors. With Hannah and I, we hit a lot of doors where there was absolutely no answer at all. Now, we just left a pamphlet on the door and moved on. And so we were thinking at that rate, we were going to be able to get a whole bunch done. But then we knocked on one door and this young couple answered and they just stood out there uh, on their porch and talked to us uh, for nearly two hours. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the reason I enjoyed talking with them is because they seem to be genuine and sincere in looking for honest answers. And that's what I enjoy. I enjoy being able to share uh, with someone uh, that is is genuinely interested. Whenever I get across somebody who just they feel like maybe it would be um, uh, you know that they don't want to be rude and tell me to leave, and so I sit there and talk to them, and they're very cold, very distant, not responsive, and then I begin to get the hint. <laughs> you know, I'm ready to move on. Those aren't so much enjoyable. Uh, when someone just tells me they're not interested, then I generally will just say well will you at least take this and if the lord changes your mind if you get some questions or anything give me a call and i'll be more than willing to come talk to you but anyways uh uh we want to be equipped um and as new people come and join our church especially uh new born again believers we're going to get people joining from all different um you know some transferring their membership that have been saved a long time uh and th- but then we're going to get some that, that uh, and again, I'm praying that we'll see people saved and as they are baptized and join our church. My point is, um, we might hear some, some teaching and have, I know you all already know this, but we might hear some teaching over and over again. But w- sometimes people, I say sometimes, really we all have had to go through this. We've had to be taught uh, certain precepts and principles in the Bible. We had to be taught how to pray. And the disciples even, they said, teach me to pray. Teach us to pray. And so he, uh, you remember, he taught him how to pray. And um, when I see young converts and uh, we call on them to pray and, and they sometimes are a little bit shy about it, but excited at the same time. And I don't know if y'all have noticed this, but I have. I've noticed that uh, Anoe, for example, uh, he's not here this morning, but when we call on him to pray, he's a little bit, you know, uncertain. But I can tell that he's excited and honored at the same time. And um, so we got to, especially as a pastor, I've got to be able to uh, teach people, to equip them. Uh, it is the business of the pastor uh, to see that people are as perfectly as possible engaged in spiritual work and warfare. Uh, the pastor must know how to help people discover their spiritual gifts. And uh, this coming December, Lord willing, I, I want to start a series of lessons on how to discover your spiritual gift. And um, 
when we know what our spiritual gift is, then we know how to be used of the Lord. Amen. So that, that's kind of uh, what that is, is about. Uh, the pastor must know how to help people demonstrate their spiritual gifts. And um, pray for me as your pastor, as I prepare for those lessons, by the way. Um, the object of the perfecting work. So this is point number two, the object of this perfecting work. And um, these last two points is really the main points I wanted to get to. Uh, in verse 12, it says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The saints are born-again believers. That's who saints are. Uh, so anytime you see in the Bible the word saint, uh, it doesn't mean someone who is an angelic being, okay? It doesn't mean someone who is uh, perfect in the flesh. It just simply means a born-again believer. Right. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a saint, Amen. according to the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures. So um, the saints are those who are to be perfected in terms of being able to identify, uh, identify and implement their gifts within the true uh, body, uh, excuse me, within the body of Christ, that is the church. So this will help them to find their place in the local church, and it will enable them to function as they are meant to function in their local church. And I, I want to point this out. In all of these things, everything that we hear about the church and the instructions to the church, the qualifications, all of these things, they're there for a particular church at a particular place at a particular time. Now, why is that important? That's important because as we see these things, it helps us to know how we are to function as a church. And when you look at it outside of the parameters of a specific church in a specific place at a specific time, then things begin to get very uh, con confused and um, what it does, it creates a lot of confusion. There's a lot of, of fundamental ideas that get uh, taught wrong. Let me just put it that way. When we look at these things outside of the parameters of the local church. So uh, the saints are those who are, are um, to be perfect in terms of being able to recognize uh, and reach their goals as members of the body of Christ. Uh, church members need to be perfected in terms of being clear as to what the overall mission of the church is. And what is the overall mission of the church? So when we look at, we, we can think of the church as an institution, but specifically this church and every body, you know, every assembly of people, wherever that church is, uh, there are several independent Baptist churches uh, right here in the state of Oklahoma. In fact, I would say dozens of independent Baptist churches in the state of Oklahoma, if not more than that. I don't know where they all are. There are hundreds and thousands of independent Baptist churches all over the United States and around the world. There are independent Baptist churches everywhere. But what is, when we bring it down to the specifics, what is the specific goal of uh, each one of these churches. And really, the commission is pretty simple. It's found in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. And uh, some of you uh, may already have this memorized by now. I know that normally I do. I'm going to have to read it this morning. He says, uh, it says here in Matthew 28, 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So we see the Great Commission, and that helps us understand what the goal is uh, of a church, of the church, of this church, the goal of this church is to glorify the Lord 
and to share the gospel. That let me read some notes that I wrote down here. Uh, our goal as a church is to be a holy people, to let our light shine, to enhance our soul-winning efforts. Uh, and of course, that all goes back to the Great Commission. So that, that's what our goal is here. With everything that we do, we've got to keep that in mind. We have our uh, Thursday uh, fellowships. But you know, I have that in mind with our Thursday fellowships as well. Because I, I want to equip each and every one of you with the knowledge that you need to be able to share your faith, to be able to share the gospel, to be able to share... Uh, the faith that the book of Jude, uh, let's just turn to Jude real quick. Jude is only a one chapter book right there near uh, the book of Revelation. In fact, uh, right before the book of Revelation, Jude and verse number three says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation... It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. That faith that we are to contend for, uh, the meaning there is not just the gospel, although the gospel is certainly included, but the meaning there is the faith uh, referring to the scriptures, the Bible, the, the, the faith of which we live by. That the whole, all of it. And uh, um, so as we live for the Lord and we contend for the faith, and that, that is what a pastor's desire certainly should be, is to equip uh, every member uh, with these biblical truths to be able to reach other people. Amen. Now, let me just say this. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you know how to tell someone else how to get saved. Okay? You've got your testimony. And uh, when Brother Bush was here with us, I really uh, I appreciated him giving his testimony. Um, not a, I'm not referring to a salvation testimony right here. I'm referring to his testimony of the first time that he went soul winning. Do y'all remember that testimony that he gave? Amen. He went soul winning and, and uh, he didn't, you know, didn't really know what to do. I mean, he knew what to do, but knowing it and doing it is a little bit different. You're dealing with people and um, uh, you have to deal with each person and react how they react. And, and anyways, and y'all remember his testimony. He went in, the guy asked him to come on in and he, they were watching, I think he said gun smoke and he just sat there and watched gun smoke with him. And then when it was over, he said, well, I guess I'm gonna go. But he gave him that gospel track. And a lot of times when it comes to sharing the gospel with someone, let me just say something. Even today, I, I still do this. I'll take one of our gospel tracks. The one I'm more familiar with right now that I've been using a lot is the Smiley Face Gospel Track. And I like to ask, uh, ask a person if they're interested. I like to ask them and say, do you, would you like me? Have you ever heard a clear presentation of the gospel? And if they say no, I said, would you like to hear it? May I share it with you? And if they say they're busy or rather not, if they, any type of them wanting to back away from it, I make it easy for them to back away. But if they say sure, then I just open up that track and I just go point by point right down that track. Amen. The verses are written out in there and I just read that to them. And um, sometimes when I first started doing it that way, I would actually read the uh, points that go along with those verses. But once you do it a few times, the longer you do it, then you can just read the verses and you know the, you can expound on them to help them understand, ask them any questions that, that uh, you think might, you know, the answers might help them and, um, or let them ask you a question. But uh, uh, the, the perfecting of the saints and the edifying of the body... Um, And of course, we, we've got to keep we got to keep this goal in mind. Every one of us that our goal is to reach people for the Lord, 
but not just to reach them for the Lord. The Bible doesn't tell us to stop right there. Once a person receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and let me just say this, baptism doesn't save. The Lord's Supper doesn't save. Church membership doesn't save. Amen. Right? We remember these things. So if baptism doesn't save, then what is baptism for? Baptism is important. The two ordinances of the church are very, very important. And I, in a nutshell, let me just say this. The ordinance of the church are there for checks and balances. They're there for the protection of the church. And they are there uh, to, in order for those who meet the qualifications to be in a position of a pastor or a missionary or a teacher or a deacon, um, that uh, they are the ones, the, the authority to administer the ordinances is in the church. But it would be the pastor uh, that would be actually administering uh, those ordinances. In other words, there's a protection there. Let's give, give you an example. And I know I'm doing a little bit more teaching than preaching this morning. But an example would be just almost every single one of these different denominations that we have today. The reason we have all these different denominations, which they contradict one another. Let me just say this. They, I know that there's some overlapping areas where they are the same. I understand that. And just even as Brother Ballard mentioned in Sunday school, even independent Baptist churches, they're all going to be different. There's, there's going to be some differences between them, one, one from the other. But um, the, um, they do have a common denominator when you look at, at a lot of these as a whole. And the common denominator is when they begin to teach something uh, necessary for salvation besides just simply the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Amen. The Bible says it's by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Not of baptism. Right. Not of the Lord's Supper. We could go on and add all kinds of other things to it. It's not of those things. And so when we look at all these different Protestant denominations, for example, and in the irregular churches, which were eventually uh, uh, formed into the Catholic Church, what happened with those is there was someone who disagreed. That's the reason why they were called irregular churches or apostate churches there at the beginning. Predominantly with those three main teachings right there. Salvation, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. And they decided to go do something on their own and anyways, without getting too far into that, the, uh, uh, the objectives of this perfecting work, we see the edifying of the body of Christ. What does that word edify mean? That word edify, and let me look it up here. And here's the uh, Webster's 1828 Dictionary definition of the word edify, is building up in Christian knowledge instructing improving the mind so edifying is is building up its encouragement um, and uh, all of this the the uh, equipping and the, the preaching and the teaching and I know I'm not the most charismatic person in the world <laughs> but I do enjoy teaching people Amen. I really do. I enjoy helping a person understand uh, the scriptures where I understand them. And um, in areas where I don't understand, I, I, I try to be clear that I don't understand that. I'm praying that God will, you know, uh, in that area, I need some understanding. And uh, maybe one of you understands it a little bit better in that particular area. And uh, I can learn from you. But um, so the objectives of this perfecting work is the edifying of the body of Christ. Uh, edification is the result of our measuring up specifically uh, to the fullness of Jesus Christ. We see in verse 13, uh, which says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge and of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So our goal, 
our example really is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what we're looking to, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I, I want to say something real quick. I, I, I don't want to just simply be negative uh, in looking at all these different uh, organizations, but I want to say something. Things that are different are not the same. I know that's a very, very simple, simple saying right there. And in looking at all the different Bible translations as well, uh, in fact, there's a book written with that very title, Things That Are Different Are Not the Same. And when we, when we look at the scriptures and the church that Jesus started, the, the primary, how, how can I put this? The, the main message, I guess, is, is a good way to put this, that I hear uh, when I'm out door knocking and when people will talk to me, the, the main argument that I hear, this is common over and over and over again, is what I hear is that um, we're, we all believe the same thing or we're all going to the same place. And we all, let me just say this, the correct way of saying that is there is only one God. Right. There is only one gospel. Jesus did start only one church, one kind, we could say kind of church, one institution that is called the church. He did say the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He did give it these uh, uh, specifications and qualifications here. And he did give us the great commission of us going out to share the gospel uh, with others. And that we know. Something else we know is that Satan is constantly going around uh, on this earth, uh, going to and fro, the Bible tells us, seeking whom he may devour, causing confusion, causing people to, uh, to doubt or to just simply accept uh, these variations, whatever they may be. So we've got to be careful with these things. And, and then the last point on this one is edification requires us to mature. In verse number 14 and 15, it says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And by the way, that is what Satan does. Right? Satan has this cunning craftiness and he is... Uh, lying in wait to deceive. He wants us to be just tossed to and fro uh, with every uh, doubt and, and, and uh, uh, just not really sure of where we stand uh, because there's all these different options that are out there. But this verse says that we henceforth be no more children. In other words, we've got to mature uh, every one of us. There comes a time after salvation, after we follow of the Lord in obedience after salvation with baptism. Uh, and then, you know, as we, we grow, uh, we've got to mature. And, and again, as this verse says, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But then verse 15 says, but speaking the truth in love, may grow, grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So this last part, but speaking the truth in love, the main message. And I think this gets people, I noticed even yesterday as I was visiting with this young couple, and we went over the gospel many, many times. And uh, speaking the truth in love, amen. We went over the gospel many, many times. And um, this uh, one of them in particular was having a hard time understanding not what I was saying, but what I was meaning by what I was saying. Because I was very clear with my words. But with what she was having a hard time with was the fact that the gospel is really a free gift. That all a person has to do is receive it. Let Jesus be your Savior. Amen. That, that verse in, uh, I think it's in Timothy, and we, we sing the song, I know whom 
I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That is word for word out of the Bible. Word for word. I know whom I have believed and have committed. What is it that I've committed? I have committed my soul to him. I have committed the saving of my soul to him. He said it's a free gift. He said all you have to do is recognize that you need it. Admit that you're a sinner in need of a savior. Let me be your savior. Commit the saving of your soul to me. And that's what I did. And that's what Paul said. Uh, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Are you persuaded? Are you persuaded that God is able to keep you saved? And that's really what it comes down to. And we would uh, go over the... uh, the, the, the gospel, the plan of salvation, the gospel. And um, she would stop me and she would ask me, so what you're saying is you don't have to live for the Lord at all. And I said, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is your motives change. Once you commit the saving of your soul to him, your motives change. Your motive for living for him is not out of fear of going to hell. But your motive of living for Him is because you love Him. Because He loved you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's stand. We have a song of invitation. Have you committed the saving of your soul to Him? Do you know Him? Do you have that peace in your heart that only comes through knowing Him?